enough, enough, enough. What we're seeking is common sense. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, and in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, Radio Monterey, and Blanketing Planet Earth. On Radio Sputnik, five days a week. Glad you found us. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. And we have another thrilling, if grim, adventure, I suspect, today on the Bradcast. We'll be speaking in a little bit with Dr. Mark Rosenberg, formerly of the CDC, the man uh, who, who was taking on... Congress 20 years ago concerning funding for uh, research into gun violence at the CDC and the uh, subsequent prohibition on that research that occurred thereafter. We will talk to him about what happened back in 1996 to bring us to the point where we are now, where the federal government no longer does research into gun violence, the causes of gun violence, the the number of uh, people killed and injured by guns. What the hell happened there and how do how do we get out of it? We'll talk with uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg about that uh, shortly and get a firsthand account of what happened back in 1996. Grim news from across the pond today. A 41-year-old member of the United Kingdom's parliament, Joe Cox, was fatally shot with what appears to be, uh, uh, according to reports in any event, as we go to to air, an old-fashioned gun of sorts and, uh, and a knife. She was shot and killed on Thursday in an attack that left another injured. Her death has shocked the United Kingdom and comes just days prior to a vote on whether Great Britain should leave the European Union, as many on the right have called for in the UK. Cox, uh, a member of the uh, of, of Great Britain's Labour Party and an advocate for staying in the European Union, was meeting with constituents at a library in Burstall, northern England. When this attack happened, police have now identified a 52-year-old man named Tommy Mayer as the main suspect. They are investigating... Witness reports that Mayor shouted Britain first, a possible reference to the far right political party of that name as he attacked Joe Cox. According to The Guardian today, the 
young married mother of two, was elected to represent Batley and Spen constituency in 2015. She's the co-chair of the Friends of Syria All-Party Parliamentary Group. She broke with her party in abstaining in a vote on military action in Syria. She's worked with anti-hunger charity, uh, with Oxfam, the anti-hunger charity. She's worked on women's and children's health campaigns. She was involved heavily uh, with the Labor Women's Network. Her death comes uh, at a a very tense time right now in British politics, just one week from that so-called Brexit referendum, when the Brits will uh, decide whether they should leave the European Union entirely. Campaigning on both sides of the referendum debate has halted as of Thursday in light of Cox's death. The uh, member of parliament was an adamant supporter of Britain staying in the European Union. Her death has now left the country, uh, quote, in shock and grief, as Labor Party leader Jeremy Corbyn said in a statement, adding Joe Cox died doing her public duty at the heart of our democracy, listening to and representing the people she was elected to serve, said Corbyn in that statement. Uh, Conservative Prime Minister David Cameron also commented on the tragedy to say, quote, we've lost a great star. Joe was a great campaigning MP with huge compassion and a big heart. My thoughts are with her family. So um, stunning, troubling, uh, remarkable news from the uh, from the UK today. Uh, Meanwhile, back here in the U.S., as we were going to air yesterday on the broadcast, the Democrats had just started a filibustering, essentially a filibuster in the U.S. Senate. Filibuster that was led by Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy had formerly served in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, representing uh, the uh, uh, Newtown, Connecticut, where you recall the, uh, the the horrific murders at the Sandy Hook Elementary School four years ago. Back in 2012, it has been four years since the Sandy Hook shootings that uh, took the lives of uh, 20 Five and six-year-olds and uh, and uh, six uh, facility uh, uh, faculty member. I'm sorry, faculty members at that school back in 2012. Chris Murphy uh, uh, vowed to uh, to keep talking yesterday until uh, until Republicans in the U.S. Senate agreed to even allow even allow a vote. On uh, on on two issues, on two what what I've described as very low hanging fruit issues, two issues, uh, background checks, uh, closing the background check loophole that allows uh, anybody to go to a a gun show and uh, uh, buy high capacity weapons, military grade style semi assault weapons, uh, uh, semi automatic assault weapons at those uh, at those shows, Uh, not only at those shows, but also on the Internet. Which is reportedly how the uh, shooter at uh, Columbine, not uh, Columbine, Aurora, Colorado. Hard to keep all the mass shootings straight at this point. Uh, at the uh, Aurora, Colorado movie theater that uh, killed scores of moviegoers in a matter of seconds. Uh, so how to close that background, the background check loophole and as well how to keep people who are on the terrorist list, the terror watch list, Uh, Like the shooter in Orlando, who had been interviewed on a number of occasions by the FBI for his sympathies, uh, reportedly with ISIS. Um, You know, if they're on the uh, terror list or they once were on the terror list or if they're on the no fly list. 
Democrats would uh, like to prohibit in some fashion the sale of guns to those people. But uh, before we can even get there, it's just a matter of holding a vote on these things, holding a vote in the U.S. Senate. So that uh, that filibuster began just as we went to air yesterday. It ended up going for 15 hours. Here's a, a clip or two of Connecticut Senator Sen uh, Chris Murphy uh, during that filibuster. Because I know that we can come together on this issue. And I know that there's other really important business to be done here. I know other people have amendments that they'd like to call up. I know that there are other issues that senators would like to raise. But having come through the experience of Newtown, I've had enough. It's been four years and nothing has been done. Despite the fact that 90% of the American public wants us to act, the vast majority of gun owners want us to expand the reach of background checks. Polls suggest that 80% of Americans believe that people on the terrorist watch list shouldn't be able to buy guns. There's, there's no controversy out there about these two provisions. We can work it out. We can work it out today. The failure of this body to do anything, anything at all, in the face of that continued slaughter it isn't just painful to us, it's unconscionable. I can't tell you how hard it is to look into the eyes of the families of those little boys and girls who were killed in Sandy Hook and tell them that almost four years later, we've done nothing, nothing at all to reduce the likelihood that that will happen again to another family. Congress has been utterly silent, but I'm at my wit's end. I've had enough. I've had enough of the ongoing slaughter of innocents, and I've had enough of inaction in this body. Every shooting is different. There's a different set of facts around every single shooting. But what unites all of these shootings from Littleton to Aurora, to Newtown, to Blacksburg, to Orlando, is that the weapon of choice in every case is a gun, often a very powerful gun, an AR-15 or AR-15 style gun that was designed for the military, for law enforcement, to kill as many people as quickly as possible. That was Senator Chris Murphy, just a part of his 15-hour filibuster uh, in, the, uh, in the U.S. Senate on Thursday. In his final remarks before ending the filibuster, arguably ending the filibuster uh, with a bit of a victory, we'll talk about that in a moment, Senator Murphy related the story of Sandy Hook Elementary School teacher Anne-Marie Murphy, who died trying to shield her six-year-old autistic student from the bullets by using her own body. It doesn't take courage to stand here on the floor of the United States Senate for two hours or six hours or 14 hours. It doesn't take courage to stand up to the gun lobby when 90% of your constituents want change to happen. It takes courage to look into the eye of a shooter and instead of running, wrapping your arms 
around a six-year-old boy and accepting death. If Anne-Marie Murphy could do that, then ask yourself, what can you do to make sure that Orlando or Sandy Hook never, ever happens again? It was very early on Thursday morning when the uh, Republicans appear to have finally relented. Senate uh, Minority Leader Harry M. Reid of Nevada on Thursday said that the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky had indicated on Thursday morning that he would allow votes on, quote, two important gun safety measures, according to The Washington Post, as part of a pending bill to fund certain government agencies, including the Justice Department. McConnell said that nothing was finalized, but that the leaders would try to schedule votes on proposals, quote, from both sides. Democrats, as I noted, have been angling for votes on a measure written by Senator Dianne Feinstein of California that would deny firearms and explosives to anyone the attorney general suspects of being a terrorist. They also want to vote on a proposal drafted by Chris Murphy and Cory Booker of New Jersey and uh, Chuck Schumer of New York that would expand background checks by requiring them for guns purchased at gun shows and online. That 15-hour filibuster uh, crossed over two days in order to secure votes on those measures. Murphy said uh, as he was uh, wrapping up that we still have to get from here to there, but... We did not have that commitment when he started. He said there is no guarantee that those amendments will pass, but at least they will in some fashion come up uh, for a vote. Harry Reid uh, celebrated Murphy's efforts. He called his display inspiring. He said that all 46 Senate Democrats are united behind him. And uh, but Republican uh, leader Mitch McConnell derided Murphy's filibuster as, quote, a campaign talkathon out here on the Senate floor, which also prevented us from moving forward, unquote. It should be noted here, as Washington Post does, that uh, previous efforts to pass legislation of this type in the wake of recent mass shootings have been unsuccessful. And they note that the closest the Senate came to making headway in recent years was back in 2013, when the Senate voted on a measure written by uh, 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 Republican Senator Toomey of uh, Pennsylvania and Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, to require criminal and mental background checks at gun shows and for online gun sales. That, uh, in 2013, was following the mass shooting at Sandy Hook. And I love how they put this uh, in, in the Washington Post. But only 54 senators, including four Republicans, supported that bill then. Six votes shy of the 60 votes supporters needed. Now, 54 senators, for those people who don't know our U.S. Senate, that would be a majority of U.S. senators. We have 100 U.S. senators. But because uh, we have now at some point somehow moved up the uh, requirements to pass anything in the U.S. Senate to 60 votes, which is the number needed to kill a filibuster, that uh, that measure back in 2013, after 20 children and six teachers were slaughtered in Newtown, Connecticut, that did not pass, despite a majority of senators, a bipartisan majority of senators supporting that bill at the time. And as you heard Senator Murphy say, uh, despite the fact that you've got uh, numbers, 80 percent, 90 percent of Americans of of all parties 
and even members of the NRA calling for these measures, supporting what Chris Murphy correctly describes as two common sense measures that he said had been carefully selected by Democrats as the most likely to get bipartisan votes. He described them as non-controversial as you can get. And he's right about that. Uh, But that is just a fight to just get a vote on these issues. That is how broken the American political system has now become. It's just remarkable. And it's just remarkable that uh, the Democrats had to speak for 15 hours to try to get uh, a sort of kind of mostly approval uh, from the uh, Republican leaders to even allow a vote on these issues uh, in any way, shape or form. Meanwhile, speaking in Orlando, Florida, after meeting with family members of those killed and wounded at the Pulse nightclub last weekend, President Obama once again reiterated uh, the call that he's been making every day at this point since the tragedy and, frankly, to his credit, for many years prior. That action is now long overdue to try to help prevent gun violence in this country, action that uh, has been prevented by the Republicans and by who I describe as the terrorist-enabling NRA uh, for years on end, blocking even the ability to vote on these measures, up or down, vote on these measures, uh, you know, to see where the Congress stands on this. Obama uh, said that uh, such a vote, such action, uh, is long overdue in his remarks. So today, once again, as has been true too many times before, I held and hugged grieving family members and parents, and they asked, why does this keep happening? And they pleaded that we do more to stop the carnage. They don't care about the politics. Neither do I. Neither does Joe. And neither should any parent out here. This debate needs to change. It's outgrown the old political stalemates. The notion that the answer to this tragedy would be to make sure that more people in a nightclub are similarly armed to the killer defies common sense. Those who defend the easy accessibility of assault weapons should meet these families and explain why that makes sense. On why it is that we think our liberty requires these repeated tragedies. It's not the, that's not the meaning of liberty. That was President Obama speaking in Orlando on Thursday uh, after a meeting with parents and family members that uh, he spoke with, victims of the uh, horrible shooting over the weekend at the uh, at the LGBT nightclub there, uh, asking, uh, why does this keep happening? Or at least the uh, parents, the family members were asking him, why does this keep happening? Well, good question. And we may have at least a partial answer to that, at least in my conversation coming up with Dr. Mark Rosenberg, who headed up the CDC's gun violence research unit back in 1996 when 
Congressional action by Republicans led to the defunding of research into gun violence and prevention at the CDC, a prohibition which, while not explicit, uh, still serves to prevent the CDC from medical research into the causes of gun violence and injury and death and what could actually be done to, if not eliminate it entirely, at least reduce its lethality in this country. That conversation with Mark Rosenberg is coming up next. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, As the battle for common sense gun safety legislation continues, actually the battle to even hold a vote on common sense gun safety legislation uh, continues in the U.S. Congress, Ars Technica reported earlier this week that following Sunday's tragic mass shooting in Orlando, Florida, the deadliest in U.S. history, the American Medical Association has officially declared gun violence in the U.S. an unrivaled public health crisis. With this declaration, the AMA will now actively lobby Congress to overturn legislation that has kept the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, from researching gun violence for the past 20 years. Legislation backed largely by the National Rifle Association. In a statement, AMA President Dr. Stephen J. Stack said... With approximately 30,000 men, women, and children dying each year at the barrel of a gun in elementary schools, movie theaters, workplaces, houses of worship, and on live television, the United States faces a public health crisis of gun violence, even as America faces a crisis unrivaled in any other developed country. The Congress prohibits the CDC from conducting the very research that would help us understand the problems associated with gun violence and determine how to reduce the high rate of firearm-related deaths and injuries. The AMA statement goes on to say that an epidemiological analysis of gun violence is vital. So physicians and other health providers, law enforcement and society at large may be able to prevent injury, death and other harms to society resulting from firearms. The AMA, like the NRA, is one of the most powerful lobbying groups in the nation. They uh, spend some $263 million a year on it. The AMA now joins other medical organizations, including the American College of Physicians and American College of Surgeons, in declaring gun violence a public health crisis and pushing for renewed research. The legislation that the doctors groups hope to overturn stems from what is known as the 1996 Dickey Amendment, named after former Congressman Jay Dickey of Arkansas, Republican, 
20 years ago in 1996, Dickey successfully introduced legislation that stripped $2.6 million from the CDC's budget. That was the exact amount that the agency had used at the time for firearm-related research. While that money was later added back to the CDC's budget, so was wording in the appropriations bill that stipulated that the agency could not use federal funds to advocate or promote gun control. While that language doesn't explicitly ban firearm research, it has effectively done so at the CDC and other federal agencies. After the 2012 Sandy Hook grade school massacre, President Obama issued an executive order that the CDC may resume firearm-related research, but the CDC has reportedly continued to avoid the topic. Writing at the L.A. Times this week, columnist Michael Hiltzik notes that the Orlando massacre reminds us there's an enormous amount we don't know about gun violence, what causes it, what its consequences are for surviving families, how to stop it. He writes that you can blame our ignorance on the National Rifle Association and on the federal officials that the NRA has intimidated away from this crucial field of public health for 20 years. The Washington Post reported late last year following the San Bernardino massacre that in 1996, Congressman Jay Dickey was the NRA's self-described point man on the Hill, while Dr. Mark Rosenberg, a champion of gun violence research at the Centers for, CD, uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, they stood off. They had a standoff. The two men clashed in person for the first time in April of 1996 in a meeting that would, as The Washington Post says, ripple across the years and into the present. That meeting quickly led to the CDC's controversial decision to halt its gun violence research. Dickey at the time declared victory. Rosenberg ultimately lost his job. And for two decades, the CDC has refused to investigate shootings as a public health problem, a position that even presidential pleas and strings of mass shootings have proved powerless to revert, reverse, says the Washington Post. Joining us now is Dr. Mark Rosenberg, the man at the center of that 1996 fight with the NRA and their Republicans in Congress. Dr. Rosenberg is an expert in gun violence. He's currently the president and CEO of the Task Force for Global Health and the director of the Task Force's Center for Global Health Collaboration. He also co-chairs the Institute of Medicine's former, uh, Forum on Global Violence Prevention. And prior to that, he served for 20 years with the CDC as head of their National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, where he was instrumental in that fight to try, at least, to maintain funding for federal gun violence research. Dr. Rosenberg, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thanks, Brad. Let me correct a couple of things and bring you up to date. Good, thank you. Um, first, I am no longer the president and CEO of the task force mm. for global health because six weeks ago I retired. Oh, well, congratulations. So I, well, thanks. <laughs> I'm enjoying it tremendously. Um, so I'm just uh, another person trying to think these things through and help where I can. Very good. The second yeah. thing is that, again, there is no ban on research, mm -hmm. on gun research at CDC. And this is something that a lot of people do not understand. Mm -hmm. There is no congressional ban. And it's not just Congress that stopped the research, but it was the leadership of CDC 
who have been instrumental in stopping the research. Mm -hmm. And uh, I should also explain something that I think a lot of people don't get. And let's put fancy words like epidemiological aside. Uh But I think the question is, why do doctors feel so strongly about this issue? And uh, I would say that everything that doctors can do today they can do because of science and modern science. For a while, doctors thought that common sense was enough to guide what they did, but they went far astray. And for years, doctors did a lot of things to a lot of people that didn't work. They did gastric freezing procedures to pump in liquid nitrogen and freeze the lining of people's stomachs because they thought it would prevent gastric ulcer disease, and they only found out when people did the research that it didn't. It didn't work. They did thousands of internal mammary bypass grafts where they transplanted a blood vessel from outside the heart into the heart, thinking that this could prevent heart attacks, and it didn't. It was only after they did the science that people found out We need to stop the things that don't work, and we need to base everything we do on evidence that it works scientifically. And and I wonder... It's been research that creates all the miracles of modern medicine, Mm -hmm. research. And and I want to talk about some of that research that uh, that you would like to see and that you you feel is being prevented by the uh, by the CDC and other agencies. Uh, but I, I I want to stick first to that point you make because that's what I wanted to ask you about the media sort of shorthands uh, the CDC's lack of research uh, as a ban by Congress, but that isn't really so. So I I want to sort of go back to 1996 and and figure out how we got to this point. So what was the issue? Issue that originally brought this fight between Congress uh, and the CDC and, and and yourself when you were working at the CDC. What was the issue that brought this restriction, let's call it for now, uh, to the CDC in the first place back in 1996 when you were heading up the, uh, the, the gun injury prevention program there at the CDC? Mm-hmm. The NRA had been attacking us for years because they thought that to allow research to be done might not be good for gun sales. And so they developed a zero-tolerance policy. They told their members that it's either or, black and white, take your choice. Either you can do the research or you can keep your guns. But they said you can't do both. And and what was... if If you allow the research, we will all lose all of our guns. That's what they said. This was their zero-tolerance policy. And, and they really believe that if this research, I think there was a 1993 study that the uh, CDC had done finding that uh, the, the, the risk of homicide by a family member or a close acquaintance uh, was, was greatly increased uh, with a gun in the household, rather than more so than it would offer self-protection. Was that the study back in 1993 that uh, triggered, pardon the pun, the, uh, the NRA's war against uh, medical research concerning uh, uh, guns? Well, the war against research started well before that Mm -hmm. in the 1980s. But when that paper came out, that really accelerated their attack. And 
And what the NRA had been telling people was that if you are a man and if you want to protect your family, you need to have a gun. This is the basis of a lot of their marketing. And they felt that they needed to get that point across to sell more guns. When this study was done, it was funded by CDC. It was extramural research that we supported. Mm -hmm. What it showed was that having a gun in your home, not only did it not protect you, but it increased the risk that someone in your family would be shot and killed with a gun, not by 5% or 6 or 20%, not by 80 or 90%, by more than 200%. Mm. 200% mm. increase in the risk of dying if you have a gun in your home. And if you had a gun in your home, the risk that someone in your house would commit suicide with a gun mm -hmm. went up 400%, mm. almost a five-fold increase. And I would say sometimes the FDA, when they're looking at the regulation of medicine, mm -hmm. if you develop a new drug but it has a 20% increase in a serious side effect, that's enough to not let it get approved. Sure. A 20% increase in risk is felt to be big. We're not talking about 20% increase in risk. We're talking about 200% increase in homicide and 400% increase in suicide. These are huge risks. And the NRA properly saw that this would not be good for selling more guns. So this accelerated their attack. They did not want these data to come out, and they attacked it furiously. And they threatened to close down not only our gun violence research, but the whole injury center. And to appreciate the audacity of that, you need to understand that injuries are not a minor problem for people in the U.S., not a minor health problem, but injuries are the leading cause of death for people in the United States from age 1 to 44. They wanted to shut down the whole enterprise. So at that point, at least, we were able to avoid shutting down uh, the injury prevention program at the CDC. But when you met with uh, Congressman Jay Dickey at the time, and I know that you guys, uh, that he has since come around, it seems, you guys have uh, become close friends in this, in this fight, ironically enough. But at the time... Uh, did he really believe what the NRA was saying, that all of this would lead to guns being taken away? Or was your sense that he was he was largely doing the uh, doing the NRA's uh, bidding on behalf of the arms industry at the time? He was doing the NRA's bidding, but he grew up in a gun culture mm -hmm. and he liked to shoot guns for sport. He liked to go hunting. He appreciated the role that firearms play in the area of Arkansas where he grew up. So he really believed that they were important, and he believed that there was an attempt by CDC to take away everyone's guns, because this is what the NRA leadership told him. Did the NRA leadership believe that? No. I don't think they believed it for a second. Mm -hmm. But it was a very smart strategy for the NRA, and it had absolutely disastrous consequences for the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, what I learned in talking to Jay over the years, first we came to be friends and we came to trust each other and we came to listen to each other and to learn from each other. And what Jay taught me is that when CDC does research, it has to have two objectives. The first objective is to reduce gun violence, but the second objective of your research has to be to find ways to protect the rights of law-abiding gun owners. That has to be part of what we do, Mm -hmm. because that's a constitutionally guaranteed right as currently interpreted by the Supreme Court. It's the Second Amendment. So that the research had to have two goals. One is to reduce gun violence, and the second is to protect gun rights. Now, the NRA told him that's absolutely impossible. You can't do that. And research is going to take everyone's guns. I don't think Jay understood the idea of research well enough Mm -hmm. to know that you could do both. You could find ways to protect both the safety of people and the rights of gun owners. And now it's very clear you can find ways that will do both. It's not so different from what we need to find as doctors when we're looking for ways to treat cancer. And when you treat cancer, you need to find drugs that will stop the tumor. Uh This is like stopping the violence. But these drugs also need to protect the patient's vital organs and keep the patient alive. So you have two goals in searching for cancer treatment. One is to stop the cancer, and the other is to protect the patient. It's very similar to the goals of firearm research. You need to protect people from gun violence, but protect gun rights. Well, with all and due in respect, cancer, you do both. Well, with all due respect, doctor, uh, what what position? I mean, we're talking about the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and I want to talk about what research it would be nice to see them doing specifically, but. Uh, why is it their position at all, or why should it be their position at all, uh, to produce research to protect uh, gun rights? I mean, shouldn't they simply be telling us, you know, the dangers of uh, of, of guns and, and the causes for gun violence and so forth? And not that I'm against them doing any sort of research, but when you say that they need to do both, uh, shouldn't they just be dealing with the, the medical issues, the medical consequences, and so forth? Why is it their job to protect gun rights at all in their research? Because the rights of law-abiding citizens to own firearms is a constitutionally protected right. It's the law of the land. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that the work that's done be supported not just by people who are interested in gun control, but the work has to be supported by people who are interested in gun rights. If we have this bipartisan divide where people across the aisle are just screaming at each other, mm-hmm. we're not going to get any place. We're not going to get out of this morass. We're going to be stuck here. Even as the numbers go from 12 people killed in Aurora to 14 killed at San Bernardino Mm -hmm. to 26 at Newtown and 49 in Orlando, 
escalating numbers will just lead to escalating arguments. We've got to work together on this. And it's not a partisan issue. It's not a problem we're going to solve by one group dominating another. We've got to work together. That's part of what Jay and I came to realize, Mm -hmm. that we have common goals and we have shared goals. And we'll do better if we can incorporate both of those goals into the work that we do. And And it's not hard. It's not hard to find interventions that will do both. Well, if you have waiting periods, for example, mm-hmm. it will prevent a lot of people who would otherwise impulsively go out and buy a gun to commit suicide. And most gun deaths are suicides. Two-thirds of all gun deaths are suicides. Mm-hmm. They don't get as much attention, but that's a huge part of the problem. But if you have a waiting period and a young impulsive person is forced to wait, the odds are good that that impulse will go by the time they can buy that gun, and they will no longer be suicidal, and you'll save lives. This does not infringe on the rights of law-abiding gun owners at all, mm-hmm. but it reduces gun violence and saves lives. There's many interventions like that that we can think about and imagine, and we just need to test them out and try them. And we're doing it right now without the benefit of science. And medicine can't do anything without the benefit of science. Well, let's let's we talk can't about cancer or heart attacks without that. Let, let's talk about that, Doctor. Uh, as I mentioned at the top here, uh, following Sandy Hook, uh, the president issued an executive order telling the CDC that they may resume firearms research, uh, but they have not. They have continued to I avoid think he the topic. Said that CDC should okay resume firearm research but they still haven't and it wasn't if it wasn't a ban uh, initially and uh, yet they were I know intimidated by the NRA they were feared that uh, they feared they would you know lose their entire budget but that was 20 years ago and now you've got a, a president who apparently has their back saying yes CDC please proceed and they are still not doing so how do we explain this uh, inaction if you will at the CDC well I think There are people at the CDC who want to do this research. CDC is not a unitary, single-minded organization, Mm -hmm. but there are people at many different levels. That's the first thing we have to realize. And the people in the injury center constitute the largest collection of experts in violence prevention any place in the world, bar none. It's an incredibly competent, interested, and committed group that has never abandoned their interest in attacking this very serious problem. But what happened was that after the Dickey hearing, Uh Congress fired a couple of shots across the bow. One was removing the money, as you mentioned in the beginning, Brad. They Mm -hmm. took away $2.6 million dollars that CDC had been using to do gun violence prevention research. And they said they couldn't use that money for gun violence prevention research. It had to go to traumatic brain injury. The second thing that they did, and the second shot across the bow, was putting in the Dickey Amendment that said none of the funds that go to CDC shall be used to advocate or promote gun control. Now, CDC was not in the business of advocating or promoting gun control. 
they were in the business of doing serious scientific research on gun violence prevention. Uh Gun control advocacy really means promoting specific legislation that would have an impact on the use of firearms. CDC was not in that business, they never were in that business, and they should not be in that business. But they do need to answer the basic scientific questions. There's four of these questions that they need to answer. Mm -hmm. This is what we are trying to do. The first question, and again, they're not with fancy words or terms, the first question is, what's the problem? Who gets shot? How many people? Who are they? How old? What's their background? Where does it happen? When does it happen? What are they shot with? Where do the guns come from? What's the relationship between the perpetrator and the victim? And is the problem getting better or worse? But what's the problem? That's the first question to answer. The second question is, what are the causes? What increases the risk that someone would get shot? What decreases the risk? What's the role of terrorism? What's the role of homophobia? What's the role of hate crimes? What's the role of domestic violence, of alcohol, of mental illness? What are the causes? What increases the risk and what would prevent it? What decreases the risk? The third big question is what works? What works to prevent it? And here's where common sense is not enough. We found that common sense medicine is not enough. Common sense medicine would have us still do gastric freezing and internal mammary artery bypass and a host of other medical procedures that don't work. Common sense wasn't enough in medicine and it's not enough in gun violence prevention research. We have to test things to see if they work. And right now we don't know dink about what works in this area. We don't know about the very basic measures like gun registration and licensing of gun owners. This is the basics of our car safety program. Mm -hmm. We license drivers and register vehicles. That's basic. And we've saved hundreds of thousands of lives on the road without having to ban guns. But we don't know if licensing and registration would work to make us safer. We don't know if allowing more people to carry concealed weapons would make us safer or take more lives. Mm -hmm. If arming all teachers would make us safer or take more lives. We don't know what works. The really big questions, we know so very, very little. So that's the third question, what works? And the fourth big question is, once you find things that work, how do you do it? How do you put them into legislation and craft the policy that will both keep us safe and protect the rights of law-abiding gun owners? It's four questions that we have to answer. And CDC is ready to do it. And CDC has people very ready. But the leadership of CDC feels that he already has enough public health hot potatoes. He has to deal with Zika with inadequate funds. He had to deal with Ebola with inadequate funds. He has to deal with swine flu with inadequate funds. So to take on another hot potato, maybe the hottest of them all, Mm -hmm. with inadequate funds, 
is not very appealing. Dr. Mark and Rosenberg, one, I, I've got just a, another minute or two here, but is that, uh, and, and by the way, I believe you misspoke a minute or two ago when you said that uh, we, we were able to help injuries in cars, car accidents, and so forth without banning guns. I think you meant without banning cars. Uh, but I'm sorry. That's yes, a, you're right. Thanks I'll, for the correction. No problem. Uh, you say that uh, he, the uh, leadership at the CDC, is this really the decision of one person, one man at the top of the CDC uh, to change the priorities, the funding priorities at the CDC? I don't think the decision is made by one person, but I think it's made by the leadership in consultation with other people at HHS and other people within CDC. But what they have said is that they will do what the president has asked them when, but only when, there's a specific congressional line item appropriation mm. of $10 million for this research. And this Congress, where legislators, both blue and red, Democratic and Republican, are scared to death, they are not going to appropriate that money specifically. CDC, with a budget of $10 billion, could take one-tenth of one percent and use it to do this research. But it's a hot potato that they don't want, and they don't want to take it on without support. Mm. That's why the AMA support right now is really important and really helpful. Doctors can make the case that we need science and we can't operate blind. We couldn't do anything in medicine without science and we can't tackle this problem without the science. And legislators shouldn't be asked to vote on things that they don't know whether they work or not. And that's uh, sort of the last question I want to leave with you here, uh, uh, Dr. Mark Rosenberg. As the uh, the former head of the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, I know you had to deal with a lot of folks in Congress and in the various lobbying organizations. So will the American Medical Association, a huge, very powerful uh, lobbying group, will their decision now to lobby Congress actually make a difference? Will that move the needle as, as you see it, I, I suspect Democrats are already in favor of this, but will this uh, change the thinking of any of the Republicans who have been doing the NRA's bidding for so long when it comes to supporting uh, research into uh, gun violence and gun death? We've got to get Republicans on board, and we've got to let them see that it's unfair of us to ask them to vote on legislation when they have no idea what the impact will be, and that it's up to us to give them the scientific evidence and the objective data to let them know what laws will be both safe and effective, safe in reducing violence and effective in preserving gun rights. We can get that data. We have it for every other area Mm -hmm. of health and medicine, and this is a gaping black hole that needs to be filled with the science. So the AMA, I think, can make the case. Doctors can make the case especially well and especially effectively. People wouldn't stand to stop research in any other medical area. They wouldn't let it be stopped for a day. And this is an area where it's been stopped dead in its tracks for 20 years. So getting it back up and going offers hope. It offers a way out of this morass. 
and I certainly hope it'll be with bipartisan support for moving ahead. I hope so, too. I hope that AMA uh, uh, lobbying finally makes a difference, moves that needle a little bit. Dr. Mark Rosenberg, uh, former head of the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control and the very recent and happily retired president of the Task Force for Global Health. Uh, and you can get more information on their work at taskforce.org. Dr. Rosenberg, really appreciate you joining us today. Hope to uh, talk more about this in the future as uh, we hopefully get this uh, nation moved back in the right direction somehow or another. Thank you for your time Thanks, today, sir. Brad. You are doing a really important public service. Thanks for your contribution. It really matters. Greatly appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to help keep us going. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you. Man, uh, just a, just another remarkable week, hasn't it uh, been, Desi Doyen? Yes, uh, it's just, not at all what we were planning on talking about. No, uh, never is. As and as, last week. No, and as a matter of fact, I've got a lot of uh, political news, actually. Uh, election news, uh, uh, polling and stuff that I've been trying to get to every day this week. Voting news, yeah, important things. Yeah, that stuff, but... yeah. Uh, anyway, we will try to get to it on our next thrilling episode. But since it has been so grim, so yes. grim around here this week and, and uh, on today's show, really good information, by the way. G- great to speak with uh, Dr. Rosenberg and, and get a sense of what's actually going on uh, in, with this fight over uh, funding, over research by our federal government. Uh, great to get that. Um, but, you know, it's all been so grim that I'm going to lighten it up a little bit with uh, Ann Coulter. <laughs> Now, I know I know what you're thinking. <laughs> what? Ann Coulter? That doesn't Wait, sound very... What? Yeah. This is actually... I just saw this. I, I care, a, a, a listener, I, I believe, and, and my apologies that I don't have, uh, have the name, uh, recently sent this uh, to me, and I hadn't seen it before. It's old. I think it's from 2007 or 2008. Um, Ann Coulter, the horrible uh, uh, right-wing lunatic, and uh, Al Franken. And I think this is before he was a senator, if I'm not mistaken. This this clip, they were at some uh, some function um, talking about, uh, well, both Coulter and Franken were there. They were talking about historical figures and which uh, historical figure that they most would have liked to have been. And I play it because I think we could all use a laugh right around now. And uh, pre-Senator Al Franken uh, delivers one here. What I admire the most, and did I think have the most fun? Um, and that, of course, would be for readers of my latest book, Joe McCarthy. Uh, we had, we had, 
<laughs> Always a popular uh, favorite. Yes. A different way of approaching it would be who, who could have changed history in a very important way. Um, I would want to be FDR uh, so that I could not introduce the New Deal. <laughs> Uh, I would be Hitler. (laughs) Another popular favorite. Well, you know, you get the call off the New Deal, I'd like to call off the Holocaust. (laughs) You know, World War II. The Anschluss. But I'd keep the Volkswagen. <laughs> I was Al Franken years ago, but we could all use a good laugh. Only, uh, only Al Franken can make the Angelus sound yes, funny. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, we could all use a good Hitler joke uh, <laughs> right around now. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, today, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with me. I greatly appreciate it. I really do. And if you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it as ever for free at bradblog.com, where you can get all of our programs. My thanks also to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try, at least, to do here every day. You can send me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at TheBradBlog. Uh, My thanks as well to Dr. Mark Rosenberg, formerly of the CDC and formerly of the Task Force for Global Health. Get more information on them at taskforce.org. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.